0: Good morning. Nice. Uh, Welcome to Redemption Church. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with y'all this morning. It's good to come together as the community and the body of Christ and to worship God. Before we begin, let's just take a moment and pray, if you would pray with me. Our Father, we uh, thank you so much for this time together. We thank you For Jesus, who has come and made a way for us to be made righteous, to be made in right relationship with you, our Father, that we would know you, that we would be called sons and daughters of God, and that we would be in family together, that we would be in community together. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us this morning, that you would be caused to remember and even comprehend even more than we already have, maybe, that uh, you love us and that your love is great and greater than we can really even comprehend, that it's deep and wide and that it's high, Lord, that we would uh, just get a, a picture of how good you are and how good the good news of the kingdom is for us. I pray this morning that you would say what you want to have said through everything that we do this morning, that you would say what you would want said, that you would have each one of us hear what you would want each one of us to hear, that your Holy Spirit would stir us up and stir our affections for you, Lord, that we would follow you and that we would be changed. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 13 this morning, but before we jump in uh, to the scripture, a question. What, what moments, what pivotal moments in your, have happened in your life that changed the trajectory trajectory of your entire life? What pivotal moments have happened in your life that just changed everything? We can all probably point to a few major moments, a few major events that have changed everything for us. They could be happy moments, like maybe the first time you went on a date with the person you ended up marrying. For me, that was, I remember that moment, right? I was like 16. And uh, we, we brought the youth group over to my my, my house after church to watch The Saint, it's a Val Kilmer film, and we watched that on a VHS, right, and uh, Claire and I were really good friends at the, moment, at the time, and uh, anyways, we were sitting next to each other, I didn't even, I don't, I don't know, anyways, at the end of the movie we were holding hands, <laughs> and everybody in the room was looking at us like, what, yeah, and so I was like, a little bit later I was very awkwardly like, uh, so are we like a thing now, You know, which is super awkward. And then, like, I realized that that was probably not the way to, to deal with that situation. So, like, a week later, I took Claire some flowers and, like, was like, "Hey, would you be my girlfriend?" Which is a weird question to ask somebody. I I think. Now, I don't know. It felt really awkward then. It feels awkward now. But, uh. That's a pivotal moment in my life. Like We went from being friends to holding hands to dating. Eventually we got engaged and like five years down the road, we end up married. Now it's 15 years after that and we have three kids. And it's it's awesome, right? It's a pivotal moment in my life. Maybe it could be graduation, it could be a wedding, it could be a birth of a child. It could be making a, a team at some point or winning something big, something big to celebrate. But it could also be disappointment, it could be losing in a big way, right? Pivotal moments can also be times of distress and sorrow. They can be times of tragedy, the loss of a loved one, a breakup, or maybe a financial crisis. You know, Reggie talked a little bit last week about the significance of this chapter, chapter 13 in Matthew, about how it's the third of five discourses that this book of Matthew's kind of built around, and that, uh, you know, this is the third one. It's right in the middle, And what I hope that we'll see today or kind of build on even from last week is that this was a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. That from here on out, things will be different. And I think that that Matthew means it to be a pivotal moment in the story that he's writing. So I want us to see that it's a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus, that it's a pivotal moment in the book of Matthew, intentionally, and I want us to remember that this is a real story that has real implications, eternal implications. Implications for even us today. It's not just a book. It's not just a thing that was written and something we're just kind of going through to get some meaning. It's real and it really has implications and it really has eternal implications for us in this room today. I'm praying, I have been praying, for a pivotal moment in our lives as we encounter the gospel here. Because I think what we need to see today is that if we truly hear the good news of the kingdom, everything changes forever. If we truly hear the good news of the kingdom, everything changes forever. So let's take a look at chapter 13. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 24, and I'm just going to read uh, through 33 at the moment. If you want to follow along, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, so you find where the, the thing is split and go to that first book. Chapter 13, verse 24 through 33. It says, So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds but when it, has, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So here we see Jesus tells a series of three parables to the crowd that had been following. And these parables, uh, he's directly confronting the expectations that the crowd would have had, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past as we've been going through the Book of Matthew, that the expectations of the crowd, the, the expectations of the people who had been following, uh, of uh, following him, the things that they would have been hoping for, is really just a king who would make Israel great again, right? In these parables, Jesus directly confronts the expectation of the crowd. Either they will understand and want in on the kingdom that he's actually saying that he's bringing in and how he's bringing it in, believing it's better than anything they had expected before, or they'll want what they wanted, they'll want something else than what Jesus says he's bringing, and they'll go on their own way. So these three parables, this is a test to the crowds. So it's helpful, before we break those parables down, it's just helpful to understand that when the parables were used by rabbis and other teachers of the day in Jesus' time, uh, they would say things like this or that is compared to or can be compared to or this or that is like, much like Jesus here says the kingdom is like or the kingdom can be compared to. And that's a directive to compare whatever the subject is to the whole picture of the parable. Right? It's not just to take one piece or one character in the parable and compare that to what he's saying. Does that make sense? So uh, in these instances, uh, Jesus is saying the kingdom is like and then the whole picture of what he says is meant to inform the understanding or the, the crowd's understanding of the kingdom. So how are these three parables told to the crowds, communicating an understanding of the kingdom of God? There's three parables. There's three main ideas that I think that Jesus is trying to get out there. And the parable of the weeds, uh, the main thing that we see is that the kingdom grows up next to the kingdoms of the world. And it can almost be indistinguishable from them. Right? So the, the, the kingdom of God grows up like, in the midst of and right next to the kingdoms of the world, and it's almost indistinguishable. And that sounds a little funny, right? But indistinguishable, indistinguishable in the sense that uh, it won't be a nation recognized by other nations. It won't have a flag and like a geography. It won't be something that everybody looks to and like, would acknowledge as a nation. But the fruit that this kingdom produces will be a lot different than the fruit of the kingdoms that the world knows. And it will be easily distinguished at the time of harvest. We'll get a little bit more into that later. But basically, the, the main idea is that it's indistinguishable. It grows right up next to and it's almost indistinguishable. You almost can't even tell the difference. Number two, the parable of the mustard seed, the main thing that we see is that while the kingdom starts very small and seemingly like insignificant in its beginnings, it will grow into something really great. And huge. All week, the story of Jack and the Beanstalk has come to mind when I think about this. Right? Maybe you know it. Look, my son's name is Jack, and he loves to watch Mickey and the Beanstalk on Netflix. And he has no idea that the story is about Jack and the Beanstalk. I just think it's funny because his name is Jack. But anyways, I've become really familiar with the story of Mickey and the Beanstalk. So I'll just use that. But uh, in the story... You kind of know it, but Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy are these peasants and they live in like this desolate place that used to be beautiful and bountiful and just full of, you know, it was awesome. It was an awesome place to live, but now they're peasants and they're starving and they have one bean to split between Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy. This is a very serious story. So they have one bean and then they have a cow that they use for milk, right? And uh, Donald Duck is just about to just like blow a fuse. And so Mickey decides that he's going to sell the cow so that they can get some real food. And Goofy and Donald Duck are, like, fired up about that, right? They're, like, singing songs and acting crazy and imagining all the smorgasbord that they're about to partake in. But Mickey comes back with, like, this, this handful of beans, these magic beans that grow by the light of a full moon, right? And Donald Duck, he's just, like, I can't do a Donald Duck voice, but you know what I'm saying, like, it, he freaks out. And like smacks the the beans out of Mickey Mouse's hands. And uh, they go through like a hole in the floor. And they just go to bed without any food. But that night, it's a full moon. And just by chance, the moon comes in through a window and right through that hole in the floor. And these beans sprout up. And overnight, those little three magic beans like lift up the house. They lift up Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy up through the sky and into a cloud where the land of the giant is, right? I'm not going to finish the story, but you kind of know what happens from there, I think. I mean, if not, you can go, it's on Netflix, go get Mickey and the Beanstalk. My point is that from a seemingly insignificant bean grows a beanstalk. From a small, insignificant mustard seed, a tree. From what seems small and insignificant, the kingdom will grow into something Beyond expectation. You may not even believe that it could be possible. You might throw the beans out of Mickey Mouse's hands. But from this very small beginning, seemingly insignificant, something very big will grow. While the crowd wanted power and they wanted a king and they wanted a nation, Jesus is promising something that is beyond that. Right? And the parable of the leaven kind of builds on that picture. Though the kingdom is small and it's hidden and it's seemingly insignificant and even kind of indistinguishable, it's going to permeate everything, right? This is the main idea of this third one. The kingdom will permeate everything, though it seems small, insignificant, indistinguishable, hidden. It will permeate everything. And so Jesus is saying to the crowds what I think we still need to hear today. That you may have come to Jesus with some sort of expectation, but like Reggie said last week, We need to listen with a soft heart, a deep heart, and a fully devoted heart. We hide this in our heart and we'll find that something greater than what we expected is there, that something greater than what we came for has been given. The transformation will permeate us, it'll saturate us. We've used that language before. It'll saturate us to the point that it comes out of us and it saturates and permeates everything around us, the entire world. Because truly hearing the good news But the kingdom will change everything forever. It's a pivotal moment. I think this is where we reach that pivotal moment in the scripture. So remember, parables are told to invoke a response. Right? So let's take a look at this next few verses. In in, in chapter 13, just verse 34 through 36, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Listen to this part. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable that we have field. So what we see happening is that Jesus moves away from speaking to the crowds. Matthew says that he said nothing to them apart from these parables. And then Jesus goes into the house and the disciples come into him. Uh, come in with him, and, and they're given more understanding, which we'll see in a minute. So what's so pivotal, pivotal about this particular moment? So the, the whole story in Matthew, what we've been looking at, the story Matthew is, is telling right here turns from what has been like a presentation or an announcement that the kingdom is coming. This is what the kingdom's going to be like. I'm the only leader worth following. I'm the only one that can make, bring this kingdom about. Been a presentation or an announcement of the kingdom. And it turns to an application. It turns from an announcement to application. This has been a test for the crowds. Remember the passage from last week uh, in the same episode in Matthew thirteen ten through 12? It says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see, Jesus starts talking a lot about separation in these parables. He talks a lot about separating stuff in chapter 13. And we see it happening right here because of these tests. He leaves the crowd, and his disciples come to him for more. The crowd has heard and seen the presentation. Jesus has been making this announcement for a while. Now it's time to respond. The question is, is who came to get more of Jesus and what he's really doing? Those people will stick around and they'll follow Jesus. And who came to get what they expected and wanted from Jesus? Those people will probably go on on their way. And Jesus has been saying, we've seen it a few times in the last few chapters, you're either with me or against me. And at this point, this is a pivotal moment. You can't stay in the crowd, You can't keep riding the fence. You can't do that forever. Are you going to be in the crowd or are you going to be a disciple? Are you going to hear the announcement and follow me? Or are you going to hear the announcement and walk away? It's significant, too, that Jesus goes into the house of the disciples and they ask for further explanation. Isn't it? It's kind of weird because we kind of maybe even hear, like, I thought you had to understand the parable to to get in. But see, the disciples didn't understand everything Jesus said either. But they came to him for understanding. And that's the difference between the disciples and the crowd. Disciples don't earn a spot with Jesus because they can solve his riddles, right? Disciples hear and realize that what they came wanting isn't actually as good as what they need and want, what Jesus has has promised. What they came wanting and thinking they needed, Jesus is offering something better. They may not fully get it, but they're going to follow the one who has the answers, All right? Let's just continue reading. Uh, this is a little bit, uh, we're kind of going to finish up the reading here. Matthew 13, 36 through 52. And this is what he says to the disciples. So then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So the disciples ask Jesus to explain the parable of the weeds, and he does. Before we go any further, I just he's really good. He's really patient, isn't he? He's so patient and good to us. The key piece that I want us to see in this is in verse 41 through 43. I'm not going to break the whole thing down piece by piece. Jesus does that for us. Um, it says this, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them in the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father he who has ears let him hear there's two pieces of good news that i want us to hear out of this right and one of them's kind of difficult one of them is hear the good news for the wheat It says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's what happens to the wheat. That's the good news for the wheat. He's making a way where the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This is a picture of unhindered right relationship with God in all of creation, right? Right? It's a picture that that has us living out of our created purpose of bearing the image of God, shining the light of the glory of God, so that everything, like all of creation, is an expression to the praise of God. That's what all this was made to do. And this is a picture of that. For the wheat, they'll be reconciled, they'll be made right, so that they can shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, that they'll glorify him in all all of creation, and bearing out their purpose in all of creation. The second piece is a little bit harder, but we also need to hear the good news and what happened, what's happening to the weeds. It's not really good news for the weeds, but I think it's still good news, and I think we need to think about it. These weeds or these tares, depending on which version you have, it's a poisonous plant that, that would look very much like wheat when it's young. It would be almost indistinguishable, Right? But when it grows up and it matures and it begins to bear fruit, you can tell which one is which. At the harvest, the difference would be very plain. And so Jesus says that at the harvest, all causes of sin and lawbreakers will be gathered and burned, that the weeds will be separated and burned. And Jesus talks a lot about burning, and he talks a lot about separation here, and he talks about the gnashing of teeth and all that language, and we can't just... We can't just fly over that. I know we don't like to talk about hell. I don't like to talk about hell. I don't like the thought of hell. I don't really always know what to do with hell. I imagine most of us don't. And I'm no different than any of you. I struggle with the thought of it. But I'm afraid that it's because The reason that we struggle with it, the reason it's hard for us to get or or grasp is because we think the good news is only about saving some people's lives, when it's actually much bigger than that. It's about all of creation being made right. It's about the whole world operating how it was built to operate. It's about the reconciliation of all things to and for Christ, right? Right? And for that to happen, all causes of sin and lawbreakers can't be in the field anymore. For us to operate, for all this to work the way it's supposed to work, the way it was created to work, the lawbreakers and the causes of sin can't be in the field anymore. So, it's good news that Jesus is going to defeat evil. It's good news that he's going to overcome evil. It was good news that Hitler was defeated. It's good news when evil's conquered and overcome. So the question I think that we have to ask isn't if Jesus is a loving God, how could he? Which I've thought. I think the right question maybe is if he's good and a loving God who fulfills his promises and is doing what he says he's doing, how could he not overcome evil? And then we have to go a little bit further, or at least I do for myself. What makes me believe that I have a better understanding of what's actually evil and what isn't? than what God thinks and what God knows? What makes me think that my logic is better than that of Jesus? I mean, sometimes I feel like I've hired Jesus just to be my personal Savior, but not to be super smart, all-knowing God, whose ways are way higher than my ways and way higher than your ways. Maybe he knows what he's doing. What makes us think that what we want and expect is actually better than what he says is better? So I struggle through these parables, I struggle through the separation, I struggle with the hell thing, but I think there's good news behind that, that God is reconciling all things to himself, that he's making this whole thing operate the way it's supposed to be, that he's making us actually be able to be the image bearers of God that we're supposed to be and have dominion over the earth and bring praise about from all of creation to himself. And don't hear me say that like I'm celebrating that people would go to hell, that's not the point. No, I mean, this is an, there's an open invitation even here from Jesus that's saying, Come. The good news is for everyone. The invitation is to come, but also because the good news for us is that we are going to get to shine like the sun in the, in the kingdom of our Father. And it's also good that he's going to overcome evil. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we weeds or are we wheat? Are you weeds? Are you a weed or are you wheat? A wheat? I don't know how you say that. Uh, are you part of the crowd or are you part of the kingdom? Are you, part, are you a disciple of Christ? Would you dismiss what he says is good news just because it doesn't quite fit or and because it's not what you came expecting? Or is truly hearing the good news of the kingdom going to change everything forever? How have you listened? What ground is the gospel falling on? Are you listening to what Jesus is actually saying or do we come listening for what we want to hear? That's what's happening here in this, these parables. We can't be selective listeners, right? Jesus wants the disciples to hear something loud and clear, not just to be selective listeners, listening for what they expect and what they want, but to listen to what he's actually saying. The good news of the kingdom is greater than anybody expected. It may seem small, it may seem insignificant, it may be a little bit indistinguishable at the moment, but it's greater than you can even begin to comprehend. The good news of the kingdom will change everything forever. That's why he adds right after that, he goes on to add these two short parables about the hidden treasure and the pearl. We understand these parables, right? It's like uh, if you found a cure for cancer. But the only way you can make it distributable to the world and your loved ones is if you sell everything in order to make it happen. Who sells everything? We sell everything. It's going to be fine. Everybody's going to get a cure for cancer. You sell everything, right? Remember, all these parables are meant to invoke a response to the good news of the kingdom. And this is a pivotal moment. Truly hearing, if we could just truly, if these would truly hear the good news of the kingdom, it would change everything forever. It changes priorities. It changes our priorities, right? It's so... What we find in the good news of the kingdom is so valuable that it's worth joyfully sacrificing everything that you have. Because it's better, and it's just obviously better once you hear it. The good news of the kingdom changes our priorities. And hear this. I'm not saying that we hear the good news, and so we go and we change our priorities. I'm saying the good news of the kingdom changes your priorities. We don't necessarily change them. It changes them for us. What we have to ask ourselves is whether we want Jesus or if we just want what we think Jesus can do for us. Right? Have you heard the good news? There are eternal implications for how you listen, for what you hear. The invitation's out there. Come. Come into the house. Come be my disciple. Come follow me. The ones who hear will come. Right? Reggie said last week that this This whole thing starts out with a call to listen, that the the seed of the gospel grows and flourishes in those who listen from a soft heart, from a deep heart, and from a fully devoted heart. So are you remaining with the crowds or are you going to follow Jesus? The crowd wants miracles, the crowd wants power, but Jesus offers reconciliation of all things to and for himself, and it's bigger. It's better than what we thought. What do you hear in the presentation of Jesus? And the announcements he's been making as we've gone through this book for months and months. What do you hear in the presentation? What do you hear in the announcement? The challenge I would just give us this morning, I I challenge us just to spend some time in prayer and some time in the Word and and maybe some time with a pen and paper. Like some time to get away, some time to get alone. Set some some time aside to dwell on this and and to come to Jesus for more understanding I I think it's important we often make the application that you need to talk this out with others, that you need to talk about what we're talking about with your MC, with your family, with your DNA, and I think we do need to do that. But this chapter has a lot to say about listening. And I think it's very appropriate that we just take some time to just make a space to intentionally seek and listen in before we start talking it out. So one challenge is just to spend some time in prayer, spend some time in the Word, and maybe some time with a journal, a pen and paper, and just listen, like open your heart up and begin to listen, lay down your expectations open your heart to the idea that maybe maybe you don't actually know all that you really need and want I have a particular problem right, and maybe others do too, I get thirsty and the only thing I won't drink is water (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's usually coffee or something like that. But the only thing I won't drink is water. And I don't know what my problem is because when I'm thirsty and I need refreshment and then I finally give in and I drink the water, it's the best thing ever. It tastes so good and it's so refreshing. And like my thirst is quenched and I feel like I can function. It's amazing. Water is a really amazing thing. It's like God created it. So let's just be open to the possibility that Jesus knows something better about what we actually need and want. That maybe the news that he's giving is is other than what we came expecting to hear. That maybe it's bigger than what we we think. And get alone with him and listen. Look, the Bible says that he created us. Jesus created us. Maybe he knows how we're designed better than we do. Maybe he knows what's actually better for us and what actually is good for us. Better than we do. It's a possibility. The psalmist says to taste and see that the Lord is good. Is the good news even greater than you thought because you've been operating under what you know about? uh, About God and about the gospel? Is the good news even greater than what you thought because you've only been operating on what you kind of know about God and you know about the good news and not on what your actual experience has been? And what you actually know, and that you know him, and that you're experiencing him. Let's listen in and turn to Jesus. So, out of our experience of Jesus comes the fruit and the qualification to share the gospel, right? We can't tell people what something tastes like if we've never tasted it, even if we know all about the ingredients. Jesus is claiming that the kingdom is a big-time treasure, and so I'm praying for us this is a pivotal moment for us, for each of us individually, for all of us. I actually started praying this week as I really began to think about this as such a pivotal moment, that this would be a pivotal moment in the life of Redemption Church. Not just this sermon, not just this, this spot, but that this would be a time and a season where we move from knowing a lot about God and begin to truly taste and see what God really is doing and what he's really like and that he's really good because we begin to experience him in ways that we haven't. I'm praying that we begin to experience him and find that he is like far beyond, and his love for us is far beyond anything that we imagine. The things that he has for us is better news than any of us ever imagined. I'm praying that we wouldn't just make our way through the book of Matthew, like just so that we kind of get, we know a lot about it, right? But instead that we'd experience this story and that it would lead us to joyfully surrender all to Jesus. This should be a pivotal moment. We don't come here just to, like, do the thing. This is a story. This is a pivotal moment in the, in the ministry of Jesus. It's a pivotal moment in the story, and the story is real, and it has real implications for us today. So it's a pivotal moment in the season of Redemption Church, I think. And I hope that we'll pray for that together, that we begin to, to, begin to experience this story together, and it would change us forever. It's this experience, and this is, we're about to wrap it up. It's this experience of Jesus. It's this experiencing the good news of the kingdom that turns us into the scribes of the kingdom. Jesus wraps up this talk with the disciples in Matthew 13, 51 through 52, and he says this. He just says, have you understood all these things? Which, uh, honestly, in the moment, I feel like I'd have been like, nah. (laughs) You know, but uh, but they say, yeah, we get it. And uh, he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Look, we've been praying at Redemption Church that God would use us to advance the gospel in our city, that God would use us to reach 100 people, to see 100 people saved through the ministry and the people of Redemption Church. But what's going to actually qualify us to that end will be that we know and treasure Jesus, that we experience Jesus. We've experienced the good news not knowing about Jesus and what he's up to, but knowing Jesus and being a part of what he's up to because he's up to it in our hearts and in us, that he's permeated us that he's saturated us. As we taste and we see how good he is, as we turn from being a part of the crowd, we turn to being true disciples. And we've said this definition of disciples several times. and so I'm just going to say the same thing. We're turning from being in the crowd to being followers of Jesus who are increasingly... Submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. Because if we truly hear the good news of the kingdom, everything will change forever. We may not get the whole thing, but we'll know that it's a lot bigger than we thought, and it's a lot better than we thought. And we'll go and follow the one who has the answers. And here's some good news, too. We could deliver news to others that would change the whole trajectory of their life for eternity. Right? If we get to experience and we get to taste and see that the Lord is good, then we become scribes of the kingdom. And that talk of hell and all that, we might actually be able to give the good news to somebody that changes the whole trajectory of their eternity. That's That's pretty neat that we could be a part of that. Somebody was a part of it for us. Somebody was a part of it for me. My prayer is that we just truly hear the good news of the kingdom, that everything will change for each one of us forever. I encourage you to get alone and just begin to listen in. Spend some time to intentionally listen, and yeah, talk it out with each other, but listen to them. Are you experiencing them, or do you know a lot about them? We're going to move into a time of response, and uh, the band will come up and they'll lead us in worship through, through, music, and that's a time where you can, you can sit still. You don't have to stand up and sing. You can stand up and sing. You can do either one. But it's a time to respond, however necessary. Um, it's also a time where we'll take up offerings. There's a giving in the basket where you can worship God through the giving of tithes and offerings. And then we also come and we take communion at this time. So we're going to come down this middle aisle and you'll go each way and somebody will be there to serve you. And you can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. And when we do this, understand that this is, an, this is a proclamation that Jesus is who he says he is. I've experienced it. I know what he's done for me. He's good news. He's saturating my soul. Submitting all of life to him because he is who he says he is. We take and we eat. And when we do that, we're proclaiming it to the other people in the room too because we need reminders. And if you're not a Christian, so, I mean, if you are a Christian, we we ask you, you're welcome to come. We invite you to come and to make this proclamation and and, and this reminder together. If you're not a Christian, we we ask that you not do that because you can't say that. But instead, listen. Just please listen to what we're saying we're saying Jesus is who he says he is he died on the cross he rose again and it's a big deal because he made a way for me to be in right relationship with my father with God and he's reconciling all things to himself and we are coming to life and finding out we can be made right again we can be we can we can fulfill our purpose that we were created for I'll just ask you to listen and just hear what we're saying If you'd like to respond to that, you can grab me. You can grab anybody. There'll be some people with tags in the back who'll be happy to pray with you also. Would you just pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the good news of the kingdom. We thank you that you came and you changed everything forever. That you made a way for us to be in right relationship with you. That you've made a way for us to enter in and to know you. That You've bridged the the barrier between us through your Son. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts up to know and and to begin to comprehend that your love is far and away greater than we even know, and that we are more desperate for it than we ever know. Father, I pray that you break our hearts, but that you also let us experience how you put your hand on us, and you forgive us, and you tell us how much you love us, and you bring us back up, and you invite us in on the work that you're doing. Pray that you change our hearts, that you change our minds, and that you put the good news of the kingdom on our lips so that others would hear and that others would have everything changed forever. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.